Welcome to the Notes to My Legal Self, AI Insights, where law and AI collide. Get ready to level up your legal game with us. We've got career advice, cutting-edge developments, mind-blowing legal tech, and more. Know someone making waves in the legal AI world? Nominate them, or even nominate yourself. We love courageous souls. And don't forget, we want to hear from you, too. Ask questions, drop comments, let's build a community of legal superheroes. But here's the deal. We're all about to have a blast. AI may be serious, but we're here to make it fun. So buckle up, get ready to power up, and let's embark on this exciting journey together. Now, let's introduce your fearless host, Olga Mack. Get ready to dive into the awesomeness of Notes to My Legal Self, AI Insights. Let's go. Hello, everyone. We are going to be talking about AI agents today. I have a story for you. This weekend when I was a little bored, I texted my friend Cassie and I was like, what are you up to? And she said, oh, I am building some AI agents. And I'm like thinking, oh, I see you because I'm doing the same thing. So we decided to have a conversation about it today. Show what we build. Maybe you'll share what you build and learn together. So without further ado, Cassie, welcome back. We just had a conversation. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> so many, so many things. The new cycle is so fast with AI. There are so many opportunities for us to jump on here and talk about them. And I can't get enough of you. So you may, can make likewise. it a regular. But for those folks who may not know you, introduce yourself. Where are you? And yeah, what I, you today? <laughs> yeah, I am Cassie Burns. I'm with Keenan Spalding, a senior attorney. I've been practicing in the discovery practice group. So that means I work with data and AI quite a lot and have for over 10 years. Um, I'm based in Texas and Fort Worth to be exact and love chatting with other like-minded people on LinkedIn. And that's really how Olga and I met. So <laughs> here we are. We gravitated. That's what we did. And be before you got to, to where you are today, how did you get there? It was a journey, that's for sure, a non-traditional journey. I uh, started right out of law school working in-house for a franchise company in the 2006-2008 era, ended up being the last employee and just found my way into doc review, one of hundreds of people doing doc review, and had a natural affinity for it, that, that logic, dealing with data in a very logic-based way. And I knew we needed to follow the tech because I was seeing the integration of it slowly and how it was impacting review teams, review sizes, things like that. And I was like, I want to go where the tech is because that's job security. And I understood it and that's what I did. I've worked on vendor side, a legal services provider side with proprietary software and made it back to law firms. It's been a wild and crazy ride, but we're having a little bit, as I said before, we're having a little bit, I think of a Cinderella glow up because e-discovery professionals, given our experience, project managing and dealing with data and dealing with machine learning, uh, we're well primed, I think, to be a great resource and more broad discussions of AI. So, and I know that's something you and I talk about quite a bit. I love that. Now, I definitely think that if I were to build a legal department today, whether it's a, it is at a law firm or in-house, I would uh, tap into e-discovery, privacy and security resources, because those are the folks who understand data very well. And when it comes to AI or frankly, any disruptive tool data is basically the input and output and something we do in the middle with it so those are the professionals and talent that actually have had at least some experience and have a mature understanding 
of data, which I think is a table stakes skill. So without further ado, last week we had an announcement about AI agent that was all over the news. And I think you and I talked and uh, decided that this is something we're gonna dedicate our weekend to play with it and understand the extent of the tool. I guess that's, for me, that was what I was trying to do. And then, yes, I want to gain some efficiencies in my life because uh, I guess I'm a little greedy this way. I want to go bigger, faster, cheaper as soon as possible. And that's uh, a thing when you build startups or in technology. So I love to do that. What was your motivation, Kathy? My motivation was just to test it out. So I did built a couple of GPTs that were mashups of things I really love in my personal life. Cause I just really wanted to see what that process of creating it and testing it was like. So I wanted it to be for my own entertainment as far as a, a training mechanism. It's not going to win. I'm not going to save a lot of time doing anything, but there are things that I got a lot of entertainment out of as I was doing it. And if you can't have fun doing this kind of stuff, shouldn't be I mean, doing it. It. Takes, it takes a lot to keep this girl entertained. There's obviously that is definitely that. So before uh, we talk about what you and I were building and what we learned from it, um, what what is AI agent? How do you understand what is it? For me, I think of it as templatizing a repeated GPT prompts that you may want to use over and over again. This is in the world of e-discovery. We love templates. We love an SOP. And instead of starting from scratch and eat each chat box up, I want this, I want that. And that iterative refinement, having that agent, what you're doing is you're building it based off of what you want as far as what that output is that can then just be used over and over again. You're not having to rebuild it. And some additional functionality that OpenAI had is you have more options to upload files as additional reference points to get it more targeted as, as far as what you want that end result to be. It's great, I think, for people working with a larger group, maybe one person with a style guide in mind. This is, in essence, like a style guide that's built in. So that's my, my quick takeaway of how I would describe it. Yeah, I, I do think I, it's interesting that you, you use that definition. I do think that it's a kind of exactly that. It's a sort of a way to automate various tasks, including data and documents and templatize things and train it to provide certain output in a certain voice or in a certain format, or basically thing that you do repeatedly that you would like repeatedly and consistently not to train it every time. Of course, keeping in mind that this is a public tool, uh, in, you should not be putting confidential information in it. It is not a legal tool designed for lawyers trained on illegal data. It, it, it definitely does have a limited appeal to it. Uh, because of that, um, I, I honestly think of it the way I think of Google. Google is not a legal tool. It's not created by lawyers for lawyers, not trained on illegal data. But nonetheless, it is useful when you run your legal practice for various things, not to file a brief and not to give legal advice, but perhaps when you are doing sort of an initial research for marketing purposes or basic understanding of facts, for example. It just because uh, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles doesn't mean a lawyer, who also happens to be a human, use it in the same way as humans would. But I do think ChatGPT is not a legal tool and you need to not be asleep behind the wheel and exercise precautions 
And most certainly it's not a place to put all your confidential information. Definitely don't do that. And it's definitely not a place to take all your e-discovery data and put it in and jam it all out and see how far you can go. Which is actually, when I was playing with it, I don't know about you, when I was playing with it, trying to figure out the extent of it, I think for me, the first place I started was like, what can I actually put in that I feel confident is not confidential information, it's not proprietary information. It's something that is fun to use the extent of the tool, but not necessarily jeopardize my being of folks I care about, stuff like that. How did you decide what to do with it? Again, I really tried to focus on things that I thought were low risk that I found somewhat entertaining. <laughs> I'll go ahead and share what those are. I built two. One, I love Jane Austen and I love writing people handwritten letters. I just don't have time to do it anymore. And so I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have something help you write a letter to your friends, a postcard in the style of Jane Austen, because she's known for her witty letters to her sister and her friends. And so it really was just fun, low risk thing. I wouldn't put my intimate secrets in there for it to write a, write a letter. <laughs> and then the other thing I did is a mashup of two other things I love. I love the Lord of the Rings and I love skincare, beauty, blogs and stuff like that. So I created a, a GPT that gives very basic, that's supposed to give very basic skincare advice, but talking to you as if it's Gollum talking to a hobbit. <laughs> it's, it's very ridiculous, but it was just- I, I guess I find it- Remarkably relatable. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be talked about. I want someone to giving me skincare advice, telling me I'm a hobbitses or whatever precious hobbitses. So if you again, like I said, if you I can't laugh. That ever you... has been my life goal to be a <laughs> hobbit. To be completely honest with you, I see myself in a different light. But I'm not mm -hmm. judging. I'm accepting you. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's. I feel like a golem too because I work from home so much and I tend to be very. I'm like golem in my cave. I've got like the pasty skin complexion, so I associate closely with both golem and hobbits being short. So. Oh, okay, I definitely have a different view of self. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It's the opposite side. I see myself as a much bigger figure than I ran with life, actually. <laughs> so I think we have on a different spectrum of that continuum. Really cool. Um, so do you want to show what you built? Yeah, yeah. I will go ahead and share that. This is it. It's Smeeglow, a play on Smeagol, his Gollum's old name. Wow, I'm really nerding out here. And as you can see, it has a name and a, a logo that I ended up creating in Canva because I didn't like what the dolly created for it. And then what I can do, just very simple, Gollum, my skin is very dry right now because of the because older. of too, too much discovery tasks <laughs> what do you have any advice any <laughs> recommendations and it says oh poor hobbits with their dry skins is in the cold weather yes we know it well i just like how sensitive and empathetic judge sometimes get 
it's, mm-hmm. it's so human that it does that. Yeah, yeah. So it tells you, gives you a few products like try good moisturizer with this ingredient. Don't forget to drink water. And I had instructed the GPT builder as I was building it. Don't, if anyone asks for medical advice or, or is describing something that sounds like it should be medical advice, not to give it. And also if they ask for specific product recommendations, not to give it either. So this is really more of like for fun and things like that. But but yeah, it's I didn't spend a ton of time on it, but it, you know, like I said, it made me laugh. So it was worth the five or 10 minutes that I spent on it. So yeah, yeah, no, that's really cool. So I, I did, I, I actually really wanted to do the something law related that is appropriate. It took me a little while because I think a lot of things are not appropriate for chat GPT. And I talk quite a lot about that. You really, you need to inventory your practice first. Every legal practice, whether it's in house law for a private practice or something else, has lots of components. And so I, I, I encourage folks to think of it as continuum of risk or some sort of quadrant of risks, like frequency and risk. And as a general matter, somewhere there will be legal advice and filing totally not appropriate for chat GPT because stop being updated in 2021 it, it, it's known to hallucinate it's not trained on the proper data doesn't have confidentiality privacy bells and whistles in place and then there's on the other end like things that are publicly available like writing a website a marketing copy and stuff like that and then i was that was one of the things i was thinking the other thing i was thinking about what is it really good at and it, it's it, it tries to be good at a lot of things, but it's it's on very high on the uh, Kruger uh, curve, meaning it has like high confidence, low confidence. <laughs> it comes across like it knows what it's talking about. It doesn't always know what it's talking about. Like a lot of people I meet sometimes <laughs> in the startup world, um, they read half a book and they feel like they they own the world, and it suffers from that problem. But it, it has some virtues. Some of the things that it's really good is one, what I call translation function. You take uh, normal English, you ask it to write it in corporate English, you ask it to write in pirate English, in, <laughs> in, in Gollum. Gollum English, in Korean <laughs> English, in legalese. It's like really good at that translation function. It's really good at summary. And it's really good at giving you a first draft. And I think those are like top three virtues of this tool and various derivatives of that to whether they're proprietary or public. And so I personally really like that translation function. I use it a lot, especially I I basically want to say no to somebody, but I want to say it much more palatably and diplomatically. I will use that tool to write a more palatable heck no. (laughs) I find myself using that a lot. And so, yeah, so this is what I, so I decided to build what I call a legal translator. It basically takes, it, it takes like a law and it would write it in eighth grade English, which is a standard usually used in a consumer facing companies, for example, a dating company. And, and it's taken in the eyes of regulators as something that is universally understood. So I find, for example, something like DMCA. Uh, section 230, fairly complicated. If you read it, it's, it has a lot of legalese and stuff like that. And here I basically kind of programmed that. I didn't spend a whole lot of tra- time training it, but I did train it a little. And basically it writes out a summary of section 230, 
and it tells you in plain eighth grade English what it means and sometimes gives you, I try to make tinker with it so it gives more or less actionable insights. Um, sometimes it does it with more regularity than others, not today. It's a little moody today, but <laughs> that's what I was trying to do with mine. I really was trying to find the legal application that is appropriate, that takes advantage of a skill. I mean, kind of the way I, I manage folks on my team, I, I, I really try to find what you're good at and give you that task that you can mm -hmm. excel so you can add the most value. And I see chat GPT as in any tool, really, as something, as a part of my repertoire, something on my team. And I don't want to give it an appropriate task and then be disappointed that it failed, of course. I want to give it something that it can actually has a shot at succeeding. So that's how I, <laughs> that's the deep thought that went through my mind. Let's talk about the process of doing it. What did you think of the process? It was so easy. It was so easy. I thought, I thought you're really just typing into it and saying, hey, GPT, this is what I want to build. And it really is incredibly user-friendly. I built another one two nights ago and I'm gonna build another one this weekend. And I think I'm gonna do screen recordings of just that interplay that, of what it's like building it. Cause I think people are visual learners and not everyone's played with it. So I think just having that visual, that interplay of how, it, how it's built, I think. And I gave it feedback. I upload, I've uploaded examples of, I want you to, to write in this style and I want, this is the format of the output. And again, it's that natural language processing, that talking, it's, it's, it's very intuitive. I think if people aren't engaging with it, because they think it's going to be too difficult, definitely play around with it because it, it is, I thought it was going to take me more time and five minutes, 10 minutes max. It's so easy. It was remarkable. I agree with you. It, it was, first of all, it is designed just like chat GPT in a chat format and it's very mm -hmm. clean layout there's no distractions it's hey here it divides in half screen here's your product that you're building and here's your sort of workbench so th that was very self-explanatory it has a series of prompts like what do you want and then guides you through designing your logo right. for it what i didn't like is that it like for a logo like a little too literal like i said yeah. something was laws and it gave me like a scale in muted colors, like very conservative. I'm like, no. Right. I mean, yeah. like, we're going to go with colors. We're going to go right. with... <laughs> the same thing happened with me on the Austin Scribe, the GPT I built. It was initially like a sepia-toned quill pen. And I said, no, let's get <laughs> Jane Austen, uh, an image of Jane Austen in cyberpunk colors wearing headphones. And then it gave me the image I wanted. Yeah, and then so like I was... Got, yeah, so it's really interesting. It, it does have bias mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's when you ask it it's knee jerk reaction is to preserve status quo and i think you, because it's trained on the historical data so i think you have to be aware that this is the tendency of the tool right so if you are say a risk taker who's progressive who wants to imagine jane austen today who i don't think would be a wallflower <laughs> you may have to kind no. of give a little bit more guidance to chat gpt otherwise you're gonna get the 12th century view right right of jane yeah, I, I agree. And I think even the, there's so much cliche around a lot of imagery associated with certain trends. We see it with AI and we've seen it with any imagery tied to AI or, or technology from the past 10 years. It's been like these block, 
pale blue colors and someone's touching a screen that's not there and there's like a blue light around it. And it, those images are so redundant. That's what these tools are training off. So they're just going to reciprocate. They're going to recreate that, those redundant images. And I think if you have a creative mind that wants to do something outside of the stereotypical image association, you definitely do have to redirect it. Yeah. Same thing is for words, right? Because the next thing it does, it asks you to write a description and name it. Again, this is a, what I call a conservative tool. In, and what I mean by conservative, it is, it's actually what it's trained the way lawyers are trained on precedent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's right. going to have precedent tendencies, which basically means conservative. So it's going to give you words that it's seen before. It's going to give you images that it's seen before. If you want to color outside of before, <laughs> you're going to have to train it. And I find it's interesting when I try to expand its mind. Sometimes it does really well. Also, I do something on the inter and I use the prompt of like, you do this on the intersection of this and that, and give me a few options and do not hold yourself, go crazy, right? <laughs> you don't have to be constrained by president. You're not a Supreme Court judge. Go right. tiger, go. And sometimes it does really well. Actually, sometimes blows my mind that I would not come up with something. And sometimes it just has what I now call a constipation moment. Um, <laughs> I nearly like, feel like there needs to be a weight that you can adjust that's like the randomness factor, because I think that's where the spark of interest and creativity, we like the same thing, we like it, and then we get bored with it, and we want something new and different. It's, you saw an Instagram where Instagram got so popular, and then the imagery with Instagram got so redundant. And then TikTok became incredibly incredibly popular because the video content was like very raw and not curated. And I think we as humans, we like similar and similar until we're oversaturated with it. And then we want to veer off and do something different. And that's not something these tools are great at. They give, they're predicting things based off of what they've seen in their training set. And like having that chaos factor added in, I think might be interesting. Maybe not. Maybe that's too much out of control, but... I love chaos because out of chaos you can make a new order. Uh, right. If you don't like if you don't like the world today, chaos will make give you a chance to recreate a new right. world. So logo description and then then you can give it instructions and refine and then you have sort of an opportunity to train. Mm -hmm. um, how did you find that process? What what did you think? I thought. It, I definitely went back and redirected it. So with my Austin scribe, I gave it like, hey, I want you to write a letter to my friend. And I didn't give the name of my friend about a brunch I had with my friend Callie, where we talked about our moms and we talked about planning a vacation, a girl's trip. And it wrote the letter as if it was going to Cali, where that was really the subject of it. So I had to redirect it a little bit. And sometimes it's just like refining it. So I felt like that was a fairly easy and important, you know, process. And it largely took my instructions. Again, I didn't spend a ton of time on it. I, there are some this weekend I'm going to try and really push it a little bit further and not be so cursory with it. But I found the instructions. They did a pretty good job of working off of them. Yeah. I, I was, because I've, I've written publicly pages instructions, uh, to folks around various laws and guidance and that is publicly available that is in my articles, for example, and stuff like that. Creating that data set that is appropriate to put actually took a lot longer than dealing with chat GPT for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm a certified overthinker. So I really wanted to give something public, something appropriate, something I created as opposed to infringing on the rights of others, for example, something that is what I know for a fact is in the public domain. That actually creating a sizable enough data set that provide guidance on that was actually the toughest thing mm-hmm. because I had to go through inventory of things I've written available. And I do keep like a pretty good archive of things I do because it helps me to, to understand where I've been and where I'm going. And, I'm with, and, I, and it is available in a um, spreadsheet format and the word format. So I'm very organized. It's not like I have my data um, created together, I think. And even with that, I, I had to think through what it does and how I put it together and what I fit it. The training part is actually not a small thing. I think there is, it's interesting that you say you basically didn't spend a lot of time. I did. And using, and this is where I think is the gotcha is, you have to be very careful what you put in. And for me, I spent like 90% of my time actually on that part. That yeah. What data is appropriate to put? How clean is it? Is it representative of what I wanted to do? From, do, can I do it? Should I do it? To, is this the right thing? It's like the, what loosely captured by the cleanliness of data. I think for me, that training part was actually where the... Yeah. the I will say I did I the one I did recently, which is for like a blog writing thing. And I did take before I, I started engaging with a GPT builder, I went and found just as a starting point for different articles I wanted it, I wanted or or example blog articles I wanted it to train on and knew that it was okay with whomever what, what where my source was. And so I went and saved them all separately as different word documents, like AI example one, AI example two, because I, I just didn't know if having them all in one document would, you know, be optimal. So I did them all as separate documents. Did you do it all as one launch document or have a consolidated file that you uploaded? Yeah. So in my case, I do, so I remember I, I, I've been writing content now for a long time. I do not think of myself as creator, but I do create a lot of content. And uh, I keep track of content from various readings because sometimes I like to refer to what stories I've told and what things I covered. I, I graph things, I keep track of them, see what resonates, I keep a lot of data. And then I also like to see my own evolution of this, how far I've come, where I've been, where I'm trending, what kind of feedback I'm getting. So all of this stuff that no, no normal person would care about, but I deeply care about. So that means I have a spreadsheet and I, I have a quantitative and qualitative information about this. But that's still, so yes, I have it in the aggregated form. That's the short answer. The long answer, I had to pause and think is because I Olga evolves. Olga's writing style even a year ago was different and definitely different 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, even though I have it aggregated, do I want to feed it Olga as of 10 right. years ago? I think that was a big question for me. And the answer is a no. So then I went through cleaning. And then as I was cleaning it, then I said, I, I went, and then I became even more micro about it. I was like, oh, that post was not my best. And that article could have been better. Do I really want to repeat it? No. So like it became for me, <laughs> even aggregated form became an exercise in overthinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like, I went down the rabbit hole of what I call data cleanliness. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's a whole garbage in, garbage out thing that we love to talk about with AI. It's only as good. The output is only as good as what it's basing its data that it's trained on. You've inspired me. And that's one thing I want to play around with this weekend is I have content myself, not as much as you, but I also have my podcast. I have the transcripts from those podcasts. So I'm really thinking thinking of how can I streamline that process? My podcast is on pause right now just because work got too busy, but being a, a one-man show, one-woman show where I'm doing it all myself, how can I use these tools to be the one to draft the description for my RSS feed, be the one to maybe create a blog about my podcast? So that's something I definitely am going to play around with. And we'll, like you did, like I'll be spending quite a bit of time of priming my uh, training data set library and then thinking about the output and what I want that format will to be and just playing around with it. So I anticipate what I'm doing this weekend. I'm going to spend <laughs> more time with it and, and I'm going to try and record it too, just because I think, again, so many people are visual people. I just think seeing how that interplay is, I think there's potentially some value to it. For yeah. some people. I found that I went down the cleaning data route, but then I was like, that's stupid. I should just ask chat GPT to more heavily weigh recent content, basically have Interesting. a recency bias. So then I asked it to be, and then it, and it's actually doesn't always see shades of gray. So it was really, anyway, it was really interesting. So I didn't like the idea of manually cleaning. This was not fun because that required me to read all my creation and read mm -hmm. them and then have many cringing moments. So then I, I asked it to do recency bias, but then I also realized that not everything that I've done recently, anyway, exercise and <laughs> do not, or do try it at home. <laughs> you will learn a lot in the process about the tool and yourself. And then as any artist, I'm an artist. When you learn a lot about the tool and yourself, then um, you have an opportunity to grow. So there you go. We're coming to the end. You and I are both in, in law, generally speaking, I'm, I'm not really practicing today. You are. Uh, we talked about the the general applicability of this tool and appropriateness of this tool and and things we've done with it somewhere related to law or not. Do you feel that there is an application, there's something that lawyers can use it for? I think for BizDev, the potential for BizDev, if you're putting together a package or you ask a, a first-year associate to help prepare, so maybe not first year, but someone else, but that your law firm has a cachet of established writing styles in marketing or pitches or something like that. I think being able to normalize the tone of maybe, maybe the first draft isn't by the GPT tool, it, maybe it's by the individual and then it gets redirected, you know, so, so it could be like a tone cleansing palette. Um, I think potentially RFP responses. I don't know. I don't know how well that would, I, my mind kind of veers towards things that are not privileged or confidential and maybe also not billable from the beginning just to test it out and play around with it. I you think can it's have fun in law. That's all there is to it. And I think even though all of the things, there are a lot of limitations right now to it for our practice that I think are very valid. But I think it's important for attorneys to understand how these tools work because we're likely going to have clients who are going to be using well, these tools. Well, more than that, the proprietary tools are based on this and right. on, on, on many of this publicly available tool. And those publicly available tools are increasingly have premium versions that allow you to wall off things. We have a question from Charlie 
Carlos Hernandez about actually uses outside of law firm, for example, consumers and small businesses. And I think obviously, I think this is a group that is much less constrained mm -hmm. privilege and the, the professions of law. I, again, I, I, I'll let you think about it, Cassie, so you can answer it. But for me, I, I, again, I take a question of what's appropriate, what can you put in? And to me, that's still non-confidential, non-private information, whether or not you have duties, not put your social security in it. And that, that, mm -hmm. that's you know, an obvious thing, not put a, your private information. And then what is it good at? And it's good at summarizing. It's good at giving your first draft. It's really good at rewriting. So for me, it's really prime for this sort of customer facing things, BD type of stuff, things that if you want to do a B testing, you want to generate different versions quickly, or you want to take a, you want to take an article, make it a post, make it a podcast, make it like, to me, those are very appropriate uses because you put publicly available information that you own that you don't mind sharing because it's already shared, possibly or will be shared soon. It's definitely not proprietary. And you take advantage of the skill that mm -hmm. ChatGPT brings to the table. It's good at certain things. It is definitely mediocre at other things. So that's how I approach. How would you approach it? I would approach it the same way. What are the repeatable things that are well-suited for this tool as it currently exists? And I would have a subject matter expert build it out. And if it's going to be used by more than one person in a company, I would have an SOP around it, around the proper use of it. So if you're using it, these are the sources that you should use, all, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, just to, as easy as these tools are, it's also, I think, good just to standardize the use and the understanding of it. And I think that will allow the tool to be properly used. Those would be my recommendations, but I'm a fan of SOPs. So maybe it's just my own bias. Okay. We had a long conversation about what I think is a growing big subject, though, small things that we build. If folks got nothing else from this conversation, what, do you, what would you want them to take, get out of this conversation? I would say that uh, GPT is not going anywhere. It is, it is going to probably become more pervasive um, and more available. So at least maybe become aware of it, the pros and cons of it, and it may be integrated in your life in the future and you don't even realize it. Yeah, no, I am with you. I think for me, couple of things is that there's a public tool and there are going to be proprietary tools. There's increasingly proprietary tools. Many of them are built on this. So your learnings here will be useful no matter what happens um, because this interface and the way it's set up is actually very useful. And I, I do want you to take away the fact that it does have, it is trained on precedent. So it is mm -hmm. inherently a conservative tool. And depending who you are, that may fully represent who you are. And if you are sort of risk-preferring, challenging status quo type of person, let me guess a one, <laughs> <laughs> then you definitely need to be aware of who is on the other side of the chat and how interact with it more appropriately. With that in mind, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And we'll see you next time. And that brings us to the end of another thrilling episode on the Notes to My Legal Self AI Insights. We had a fantastic time exploring the fascinating intersection of law and AI with you. But hold on tight, because the adventure doesn't stop here. 
Stay connected with us on social media to continue the conversation, share your thoughts, and be part of our incredible community of legal enthusiasts. Together, we can inspire, learn, and make a real impact on the world of law and AI. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to share it with your friends, colleagues, and anyone else who could benefit from the exciting insights we discussed. Let's spread the knowledge and enthusiasm far and wide.